Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm George Mason, your host, and it's a great privilege to welcome to Good God today, Darren Babcock. Uh, Darren is the executive director of Bonton Farms in Dallas, Texas, and it's a remarkable program, an urban garden and community development group that he uh, started, and it has been flourishing in a beautiful way in the community, the neighborhood called Bonton. First of all, Darren, welcome to Good God. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Terrific. So uh, there's so much background to cover, but this is a remarkable venture. Uh, Bonton, let's talk about the community itself. The name Bonton is a derivative of Bombtown, right? Uh, which uh, is a product of redlining and uh, racial terrorism, uh, bomb town, because uh, there was frequent terrorist kind of activities back in the middle part of the 20th century, right? Yeah, I think early th uh, 30s and 40s, even into the 50s, as Dallas started to form as a city, uh, right. people, a lot of freedmen's communities after Emancipation Proclamation, a lot of people, black people trying to establish families um, in, a, in communities where they wouldn't be harassed or bombed or burned, established along the Trinity River. And so, um, you know, as Dallas started forming, people started trying to build encampments a little closer to downtown and it was just not allowed at the time. And so they bombed those. And for a while, people just referred to this part of town as bomb town as a result. Right, right. So you came and found this community and found yourself uh, drawn to it. Tell us how that happened. Well, you know, um, God's got an interesting sense of humor. Um, I, I think the, the short story is that in my own faith journey or journey to understand who I am and who created me and what does that mean, um, I went through some things on my own that led me to a place where I had lost hope and um, relied on all kinds of things to try to make me feel better, including self-medicating, which uh, led me to an addiction, which I'm uh, celebrating 18 years sober today. Wow. But in, it was at that point in my life where I had given up hope, but I had family and friends that didn't, you know, they would not let me bow out. <laughs> and I'm here today as a result of their intervention in my life. And then the reconciliation of understanding who I am and who God created to me those two things together saved me, right? And and so years later, as my life had been restored and looked relatively normal, a friend of mine introduced me to this neighborhood. Uh, he was meeting with a group of guys from Bonton that were most of whom uh, formerly incarcerated and were trying not to go back. Um, and those men changed my life. You know, I I met men that were similar to me in a in a way, and they were a place that felt hopeless. Um, but they were still fighting. I mean, the resiliency of the people here drew me. And also, I felt like the obligation of God doesn't waste things, right? So I went through that, not for any other reason, but to be a part of allowing him to redeem it. And part of that redemption invites me to use those tragic experiences in my life to invest in other people. And so I found that connection in the Bonton community with those men. Uh, mine was addiction through pain and loss, and then theirs was a result of incarceration for multiple different reasons and scenarios based on everybody's life. But it was a place God connected me to, to redeem what 
he allowed happen in my life. So we're going to get into a little more about the farm in a moment and all the enterprises that come off of it. But this, uh, this podcast is part of a series on poverty that we're looking at. And, and I think, you know, you talked about addiction for you. Uh, you also talked about incarceration. And uh, so there are so many tentacles to poverty, uh, but you've encountered uh, them in your community in, in, in significant ways. Let's talk about what you have identified in your experience at Bonton as being contributing factors to ongoing cycles of poverty that can be broken, but that are uh, really debilitating to people uh, in our community. Yeah, can I, do you mind if I regress and tell you a story that may make sense for everybody that sure. may not understand it? I've been immersed in a, an impoverished community for nine years and I, I want to help people truly understand um, in a way that can change things. But I learned this, um, you know, one of my nicknames, if you're embraced by this community, nobody calls you by your first name. If you're called by your first name for very long down here, you've got a problem. <laughs> uh, when they start giving you nicknames, then you know that they kind of have uh, embraced you a bit. And so one of the things they tease me about is the no way guy, because they would teach me things about how things are here, um, how regressed things still are here. And I would always just say, no way, I don't believe it. You know, I don't, I don't believe it's possible that in one of the richest cities in the history of the world, there's people that don't have access to food. I refuse to believe that. Yeah. But it was one day at the farm, it had rained for a couple of days, and I had just previously had a couple of tractor trailer loads of compost delivered. And we were going to have to do the hard job of taking that smelly and now heavy compost and put it in the garden. And I didn't want our team having to do that without knowing why. So I gathered everybody around, and I handed out packets of seeds. And I said, look, all that food we grew takes things from the soil. And if we don't replace it, we're, we're going to wind up bankrupt. You know, you can't just withdraw and withdraw and withdraw. But once we restore that soil with this compost, we can take those seeds that you have and we're going to put them in that restored soil. And if you position it where the sun passes overhead, and if you give it the right amount of water, that seed will almost assuredly become what it was created to be. Mm -hmm. And she looked at me with tears in her eyes and started crying. And I have no idea. Like, I think we're still talking about dirt. You know, I'm said, help. I'm sorry. What is it something I said? And she said, no, it's just that we're just like those seeds. Right. I, I don't understand. I said, can you explain? And she said, well, we grew up here. Like, what was our sun, soil and water? What was I supposed to use to build a life with? Mm -hmm. And it was the first time that we started a proactive conversation to understand how did God create us? Mm -hmm. um, and in the in that creation, are there certain things that when those things are absent, our lives become something smaller and more perverted than what they could be? And it turns out that to talk about poverty now, how this relates to poverty is we live in a city where 95% of the jobs are north of I-30. 45% of the people live south of I-30, but 95% of the jobs are north of I-30. So opportunity for work is not available in places like Bonton. God created us to work. So when work is absent, what? Our life looks something smaller than what it should. He created us to be in community. And when you live in a place where there's not enough to go around, we kill each other over walking on my street corner. Mm -hmm. Instead of being community and sharing, we live in an environment of scarcity where we have to fight one another for the crumbs that are here. Mm -hmm. So we're redeeming and building in community. He created us to need to nourish our mind, body, and spirit. And part of the way we nourish our, our body is through the food we take. But this is also a food desert. So when you don't have access to, to healthy food, 
what that looks like in our neighborhood is we suffer from more than double the rate of cancer and stroke and heart disease and diabetes and childhood obesity than the county rent. Mm -hmm. um, he, he, he created us to, um, to learn and, and to have opportunities for education. And a lot of those resources are, are not present. And so basically um, those are major things that most communities like Bonton don't have. They're known as deserts of sorts because they're missing those critical uh, aspects of the human life that we all need to have access to to flourish. Well, so you've, you've mentioned location You've mentioned jobs, you've mentioned incarceration, you've mentioned uh, healthy food, uh, you've mentioned encouragement and faith and community. Mm. All of these things are components now that not only in their absence drained life, but now in their presence are giving life. I, I know you have a phrase about how uh, if you invest in the soil, uh, then healthy plants uh, result and flourish. And if you invest in the soul, uh, healthy people flourish. Yes, uh, and both of those things are happening in Bonton. So uh, let's, let's be specific about the garden to begin with and mm -hmm. how the garden then uh, became more than that in terms of neighbors becoming part of, uh, of that project. Yeah, I mean, the garden came about because when, when I met those men that I referred to earlier, those men that were looking to build a life and not return back to the prison system, um, they all told me that if you don't, if we've not given an opportunity to work, we're going to have to go back and do what we did that led us there in the first place. So we started working together mm -hmm. and almost immediately um, some of my friends started calling in sick, right? And so I'm like, you can't do that. If you want to work, you're going to have to show up every day. And uh, I learned they weren't calling in sick like what I was accustomed to. This wasn't a cold or flu type thing. This was chronic illnesses. In fact, my friend Darius that taught me so much about all this, and there's really our relationship is um, God has used uh, our friendship and relationship to birth a lot of uh, what you see in Bonton, him teaching me what this is, but he was, he's like, I always, I want to participate, but I have dialysis three times a week. I'll never be able to come. Right. I hadn't even heard, heard what dialysis was before. So part of our work, we decided to plant a garden so that we could take control of our own destiny. And in doing so learned that not only does it create work and produce food, but gardens are cathartic. Um, they're healing. I think there's a reason why we were, we started this journey in a garden. So you, you produce fruits and vegetables, uh, and now you have I don't know, chickens and goats and bees and turkeys and, and oh my goodness, it's, a, it's, it's quite an operation. And all of that then now uh, is, feeds a farmer's market where people can come and, and buy uh, the produce and whatnot and, and, and eggs and the like, and then also a market where I've had lunch many times uh, and, uh, and, and dinner too. So uh, it's, it's quite an integrated growing venture that's changing that whole community, isn't it? Yeah, I think the beautiful thing is that this is our work together. You know, this is, this is something that I didn't come down and do. I want to make sure that's clear that, yeah. um, you know, I got invited here. I got 
accepted here and in, in being here got invited into part of our vision for making all things new in our community and aligning that with how God created us. And he created us to work and he created us to nourish our bodies and he created us to need shelter. We don't have fur. So on a day like today, it's important we have roofs over our head, right? And so these are things that uh, in 2020, still in our country, communities like Bonton are just left behind and don't have. Um, I think the encouraging thing is that it's not, it's not necessary and it's possible to heal these things. We created this from the, from the broken way that our country was formed and how we didn't, we never lived up to our, to our statement in the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence where we said we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal with right. certain inalienable rights. And, and so um, we're doing reconciliation work in Bonton that I think is starting to, to honor that as lofty aspiration that our forefathers set out for us and we just failed to, to live into so far. Well, and I think you, you said it earlier in talking about how you are integrated, you've been welcomed into the community. You are not a white savior in a black neighborhood. You, you, you are can't, part. Yeah, yeah, you can't do if you that. Run, if you want to ruin the beautiful work that, that God's doing here is, is have somebody other than him take in the neighborhood of the people that actually do all the hard work in Bonton to take credit for it. It's just right. not true, and, it, and it's dangerous on top of that. Well, I, I was recently uh, there, one of many times I've been uh, to Bonton Farms, and uh, a, a woman uh, grabbed us and said, it's my job to show you around, you know, and so uh, I, I was there with my partner, Rabbi Nancy Caston, and we, we visited when uh, when we were there with you recently, uh, but this this woman showed us around and told us about it, and and, and the, the sense of pride that this is her work and this is their work, and then and then she she had on a shirt about a ministry she has to girls uh, mm -hmm. that she she works uh, to to tell. And I said, well, what do you what do you do with these girls? What do you tell them? And pretty much she said everything they need to know. <laughs> You were talking to Miss Hattie, and Miss yeah. Hattie doesn't have a confidence problem. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, but but what was beautiful about that is there was a sense of ownership, right? Mm -hmm. There was a sense that this is it, it, it. It's not somebody else, not Darren's work. It's our work. It's our neighborhood, and beyond the point of of the garden, the farm, there was a sense of now she's an entrepreneur. She's got her own nonprofit. She's got, she's working to change people's lives. And that's just beyond uh, our imagination when you begin with where you did, right? Well, I think that's the thing about authentic discipleship is that it doesn't end with the person you pour into. It's something that continues to give back. And so what you see is a beautiful person in Miss Hattie that's received the benefit of being part of a community and loved on and taught who she is and whose she is and what that means to her. And now she's passing that or carrying that forward by giving back to young ladies in our neighborhood through a, a uh, young single mothers in our neighborhood that have children that need diapers and baby wipes. And she, she uses those gifts to minister to them and to pour into their lives. What you're doing, Darren, at Bonton Farms appeals, I think, across the political spectrum because uh, there's a sense for those who are conservative, you might say, there's a, 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 a sense of self-reliance and of, of uh, initiative and entrepreneurialism. And for those who are 
concerned about the ongoing plight of the poor and the disenfranchised. It is, uh, it's a program of uplift and transformation. Uh, if, if you could say, though, beyond the point of, of charity and uh, the work that you're doing um, you know, with your neighbors where you are, if there are systems that need to change in Dallas that would help to alleviate uh, the need for um, a, a, a project like yours, what are some of the things that you would point to and say, you know, we sure would like to have some help in our community that would, this, this would change things, this would help us. Yeah, I think the I think the thing about it is again um, that seed analogy is so beautiful because God created things to work a certain way, mm-hmm. and He created us to need certain things and to do well when those things are present, and mm-hmm. and we suffer a bit when those things are absent when we get outside of how He had created us, and so um, you know that because he created a certain way of course there's a science because his word is true and his work if it's true it's verifiable there's a science called the social determinants of health you know what it says it says that when a person is a part of a community where they're known and belong we're created to be a part we're not created to do this alone we need to be a part of a healthy group of people where we're known and belong when we have a decent shelter that feels enough like home where we're able to get adequate rest when we have meaningful work, we're created to drive a portion of our meaning and purpose and dignity through working with our mind and our hands to create, uh, to, to, to acquire the things we need to support ourselves and our family. When, when we um, know where our next meal is going to come from and feel safe, when those things are present, you know what happens? People are consistently more productive. They're physically healthier. They suffer from over 50% less mental illness and depression, and we live longer. Right. And so we have communities like Bonton that don't have that housing is predatory. Mm-hmm. Right. There are no jobs, decent, real jobs for people to work. Um, the, we're in communities that are divisive and torn because, as I mentioned earlier, we kind of fought, it's a it's an impoverished place where we fight over the crumbs that are here. Um, you know, when those things are absent, we, we suffer. And so I think what Bonton Farms is showing is that when we provide the resources, the foundational tools that people need to build a life with, they use them and things change. And to your point, um, this is a uniting thing. There's, there's nobody, I think, um, that really thinks that we're better off when some people are left behind. Right. And so when we, when we raise the tide for all people, all ships raise with it. And I think that's what's so beautiful, no matter what your political elevation or even your belief system. Right. Um, we all know that somehow I'm better when my neighbor's better and that we need to do a better job of seeing that those neighbors that have been left behind have a balanced playing field to thrive. Well, and so, you know, we, we're in a big conversation in Dallas right now in the wake of George Floyd and uh, Breonna Taylor and, and others about the nature of violence and policing, for instance. Mm-hmm. And as you know, there's a big budget discussion happening right now, and we're about to approve a budget. By the time we air this, it will have been done. But uh, nonetheless, there's, there, there's this sense of we need more police in order to stop violence. But there's the counter narrative, and that is, you know, how do we prevent violence? Uh, and, and you talked about when, when neighborhoods are impoverished, then people fight over crumbs. Yeah. And, and, and so, uh, you know, a lot of what's happening in Dallas right now is the urging from the faith community and from activists to say, 
why, why don't we, uh, why don't we try to shift the concept of public safety to public health and investment in communities that have been previously divested from. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, what you're doing is modeling, I think, for Dallas, what is possible when you actually invest in communities? I mean, you know, the fruit is in the pudding, right? The, the, the deal is that when nine years ago, before Bonton Farms started, um, that Bonton had such a bad reputation, the city had changed the name. You know, they just thought we have to, we can't even empower this name. Bonton meant something and it was not good. Yeah. Um, and so they tried to change the name to Rochester Park and we fought against that. And, and we're really proud of the fact that today, nine years later, Bonton has had the lowest crime rate of any neighborhood in South Dallas for the last two years running. Well, and so yeah. I, I, I always just simply put, it's not that complicated. Nothing is more dangerous than a person without hope. There you go. Desperate people do desperate things. Right. Um, but there is nothing more life-giving than a person with hope. And that sounds mushy, feely, maybe a bit intangible, but it's just true. And the evidence of it you can see in Bonton in a place that was so bad it was given up on. And, and we'll just start over and call it a different name. And maybe that'll change it to a place that should be a model of what can happen when you invest in the right things that allow people to use those two things to build lives with. The, the hope is uh, contagious here. I have a lot of people talk about when they drive into Bonton, they were nervous on their way in, but once they came under that bridge, they felt something different. Right. Uh, it's palpable, the hope and optimism and, and joy like people that Miss Hattie exude because we have a bright future and we're doing it. We're right. participating in this redemption with our own hands and man, that's exciting. So you're also expanding. And so you, you have not only this small farm in the Bonton neighborhood, you have a much larger farm uh, out in uh, what the Seagaville area, I think, right? And yes, you're expanding into Lake Highlands now. Can you talk a little more about this expansion process? Yeah, it's exciting to me because we've, you know, we believe that God created every person in his image. And that when you recognize his image in a person, then... Um, the potential. Ch my friend Chad Hauser that founded Catherine Momentum always says people rise to the level of expectation you have for them. Mm -hmm. So when you start to recognize who they are and how special each of us are as individuals, mm -hmm. it's amazing how they, we start to live into that. Mm -hmm. And I'm really excited that in Lake Highlands, the city's challenged us to specifically address a portion of the population that identifies as unsheltered. Yes. Um, we don't even like to, I don't ever call a person homeless. Um, they're a human being, right? They're not defined by the, the thing that describes the greatest struggle they've ever had. It's right. a condition. So, but people that, for whatever reason or not, are unsheltered. And we get to show that when you treat people to recognize the image of their creator in them and, and show them that they're special and unique and that he, this is no accident and that there's opportunity for you and you walk alongside them in that journey to see people thrive and to, and to become change makers in our city, you know, one of the things I saw recently is this, there's a guy named Kevin Lee, I believe, that is a student at SMU uh, Law School that was at one point experienced homelessness himself in Dallas. I was just meeting with the Dr. Henry Racinos with SMU who, who was homeless growing up in a, um, in a empty housing project in, in the Bronx as a 13 year old child has been addicted and shot and stabbed. And he's now a teacher of theology at, at SMU. Um, these lives are um, beautiful and precious and 
And uh, there's still good works prepared for them to do when we start uh, treating each other for, for what we were created to be and not what's happened to us in the process. And I'm excited for Lake Highlands to be able to show that, that the population of folks that are in that area that need um, the kind of love and support that we're going to provide to watch the lives that flourish there as well. Well, I agree with that. And it, I, uh, while I live in Lakewood now, I lived in Lake Highlands for 17 years. And I think Lake Highlands uh, has struggled over time uh, to move from what once was um, a fairly homogeneous kind of um, upper middle class uh, neighborhood to one that was uh, more diverse uh, because of multifamily housing that came in about uh, 35 years or so ago and uh, and the changing population and the like. And, and you know, Lake Highlands has struggled uh, to uh, figure out how to embrace its neighbors fully. And uh, like many of our communities, when we talk about uh, the unsheltered and when we talk about the need to spread out uh, you know, low-income housing and the like so that people have an opportunity to live not in concentrated areas of poverty, but in uh, all over the city. Uh, we, we often get pushback uh, with the so-called NIMBY uh, mentality, not in my backyard. Yep. Uh, and that's been true in Lake Highlands. Uh, but on the other hand, here we have an invitation from the community now because of a model like yours that says, you know what, if if, if that's what we're talking about, this more holistic approach that actually not only addresses shelter, but it addresses an entire transformational uh, community, then we welcome that. This is a, a remarkable model, Darren, that I think uh, is, we're excited to see it uh, transplanted, so to speak. Yes, I'm excited to see it and excited to, to show. I think I think far too often as a society, we look at we look at people groups and think that there's a problem with people. And the react, the reality is it's not, you know, all of us, whether it's ourselves or within our family have had people for some reason or another that have found themselves in a place where they're vulnerable and need help. That yes. life has become so unmanageable. I need some kind of intervention to help me reestablish. I'm incapable of doing it on my own. Right. And when, when done the right way uh, to wrap around a person to bring out the full potential that's in them, it's just life-giving in a way that everybody sees the excitement of and wants to be a part of. And I'm anxious to be able to show the community in Lake Highlands um, this gift that people that have not found themselves able to plug into the resources that community has to become a part of uh, beautiful uh, work that people from all over the world are going to want to come see and be served by them as they reestablish their lives and get their footing. Hopefully we'll begin to change the narrative that we, that people really aren't the issue, mm -hmm. right? Um, that when, when you start to address the root cause of things, people are able to build on themselves a life that, that is beautiful, that people want to come alongside. So before we wrap up, let me uh, invite people to know how to participate with you. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, th there are, there's a whole slew of ways to uh, become part of this Bonton community. One is that you can go buy your groceries. You can buy uh, fruits and vegetables and other produce and, and, and foods uh, at the farmer's market uh, there in, in Bonton. You can have lunch at the cafe. Uh, breakfast too, I think, right? Yes, sir. We breakfast. open at seven, yes, sir breakfast and lunch. There's a coffee shop now uh, making 
uh, all your Starbucks-like uh, different kinds of, of, of coffee drinks. And, uh, and then um, there's a catering business, right? So you can, you can have uh, uh, events that you have. I, I mean, during COVID, it's probably more difficult, but at some point you're able to have uh, your events catered. Uh, by Bonton, and then people can give financially as well to, uh, to, to the effort. Any other ways you would invite people to become part of this community? Absolutely. You know, for our city to heal, which is our aspiration, right? Bonton's a starting place, but we really want to show Dallas as a world-changing city that really addresses the people uh, that find themselves in vulnerable positions for one reason or another, um, really embraced and lifted up and, and transformed through that entire community wrapping around them. And, and so the talents that people have, you work in companies that offer uh, where you have great intellectual talent that help us b develop business plans, that help us come up with concepts to, to create more jobs and revenue, um, to help us innovate housing solutions, um, lawyers that help our people navigate some of the legal issues. Uh, we have a lot of people that as the economic stability starts to return, families start to recoalesce. Ah. You know, one of the greatest reasons why families break up is financial instability. Right. And so as that stability returns through work, we see families coming together. But in a lot of cases, the people we're serving never had models of a healthy family or a healthy father, what it means to be a parent. I'm young and inexperienced. And so how do we come alongside them to grow into what their aspirations are? And it takes all of us. And so what we always say is, is support us and give in a way that aligns with your talents. Mm -hmm. um, you have something to offer that we need. And so everybody's got a place. And I think that's what's going to make this so special is it's not just the work that I'm doing down here. It's a work that we're doing together to make our city a better place for all. Terrific. Well, Darren, thank you so much for being on Good God with me. And uh, I know that um, people will want to go to the website and learn more about that. I, I do want to tell people that you did a TED Talk that was wildly uh, popular, and they can find that as well and just Google that. Uh, but most of all, thank you for your own faith commitment, the way you connect good and God, which is what we're up to uh, in this Good God podcast. So uh, God bless you and your work, and we'll see you at the farm. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for continuing to tune into Good God. We've enjoyed uh, having these episodes produced, over a hundred of them now, uh, usually in a studio, but now we're doing so through computer technology in this time of social isolation. We're all trying to be careful with one another, but we also want to be careful to cultivate our spirit during this time, not to be discouraged, not to be despairing, but to be encouraged and to uh, encourage one another. So thank you for tuning in. We hope you appreciate these as much as we enjoy being able to offer them to you as a gift. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Social media coordination by Cameron Vickery. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2020 by Faith Commons.